preach a message tonight that I have already preached. I'm going to go ahead and say that so nobody hurts my feelings later on when I say, that sound familiar? Because uh, it may not, but if you've been around the ring for very long, you've probably sensed that there's about six messages that uh, I preach or that we talk about in community groups. And God has just, one by one, kind of just brought us big chunks of truth for us to uh, gnaw on a little bit and try to figure out how those things fit into our lives. And and so every so often he'll bring another one along and it's almost like when, when we're ready, we're gonna, he's going to give us a little more and a little more and a little more. And um, So I hope that you don't get bored with repetitive teaching. Um, but tonight I want to talk about something that builds on last week. Last week um, we talked about how God is a what? A warrior. See? Good. Good. God is a warrior. Um, and that, I think, was new for us. We haven't had a God is a warrior night at community group yet, uh, but we probably will, so get ready for that. Um, we haven't, that's not one of those angles that we've really explored very much, and we explored as much as you can in one night, and I, I kind of just want to expand it a little bit because I feel like um, I feel like we struck a nerve within the body in a good way um, and so I don't think we're supposed to move off of that just yet and so what I want us to do is expand on it a little bit on the idea that God is a warrior and one of the things about warriors is that most of our understanding of what a warrior is comes from literature and film or let's just face it, movies. That's pretty much where we get it from. Uh, and, and so we have the, the, you know, this concept of what a warrior looks like and what a warrior does and how they, how they fight. And there's just something about that where you're, you're talking about William Wallace or Maximus or Xena or, you know, anybody uh, who, like, has that aggressive, you know, deal and and you know you always think of them they always have a sword and they always have this um you know there's they're always like ripped up you know you never see like a pudgy warrior um and and they always uh they never get stabbed notice that um they never are the first ones to charge in and they get the sword in them you know it's always somebody else uh that kind of stuff um but in the storyline of of every uh warrior based you know plot there's there's always a moment where um, where you get to see what it is that drives them. You understand like why they are are so uh, so driven and focused and d- determined. Um, when you watch Braveheart, I mean, you know that it's about avenging his parents' death. It's about the the freedom of his people. It's about avenging the death of his wife. You know, and so you find these things out, and there, as you, it, it begins to make sense as to why he charges out there a little bit. Um, when you watch Gladiator, you know, you know why Maximus is going to fight his way through to try to kill uh, 
Commodus is what we called him in high school just because we thought it was funny. But uh, Commodus, you know, like you, you understand, um, you understand because, you know, they, they killed his wife and his kids and, and you, you get that. And, and there come these scenes where, um, especially like in film, where they try and like put it into one scene that's very memorable. You think about the the Lord of the Rings, uh, the Fellowship of the Ring, when they all are are there. And I don't, I mean, I'm a nerd, but I don't know like all my like the names of all the characters. So please don't come up and like fuss at me for mispronouncing anything. So I'm not even going to try. But there comes the you know the moment when they get commissioned and they become the Fellowship of the Ring. And in that conversation, you you understand uh, it kind of I kind of all put it in one thing of who they are what they're going to have to do, and why they're going to have to do it. In the life of Christ, he has one of those moments too, and he has a lot of them, sure. But there's one that I just keep coming back to um, because to me it sums up so much. It's one of those programmatic statements where um, you're like, you want to know what Jesus, what Jesus came to do? Here, here's it written in red in his own words um, exactly why he is fighting. And if we think of him as a warrior, um, this is his big moment where he's able to, uh, to speak that out there. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus goes to his hometown, goes to the synagogue, um, and uh, they ask him to, to do the daily reading and the teaching. And so in verse 18, he's reading from Isaiah. This is what he says. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So this was um, from Isaiah 61. This was a text that they were familiar with. This was about the Messiah that was going to come and, and lead Israel back to the place where God's chosen people ought to be. And to them, it was going to be a, a political and military leader that was, was going to bring them back to prominence. And so here comes this hometown kid who um, has a... Um, questionable background and all that kind of stuff within the town and he comes back in but he's a rabbi so they ask him to read it and he has the audacity to get up there and take this sacred text and to say I'm the guy that's going to do this and some of them were like wow really and others like yeah right but this is this was his moment you know this was his declaration as a warrior of this is who I am this is what I'm here to do and this is why I'm going to do it now, you can study this text, and you can break this down, and um, I want to do something that probably would have gotten me like a D plus in seminary, okay? And I want to um, take some liberties with the text, if that's okay. And I've done this before, but here's the thing. Um, as our church grows, the same truth taught over and over again is going to impact us differently, so if I talked about these things two years ago, you should, it should hit you differently than it did then because we're all growing, right? We're all maturing in Christ and just in life. And so these things are 
very much timeless. When it says, um, when it says in verse 18, he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. That word poor can mean two things. It can mean people who uh, don't have a lot of money. And it can mean people who are in desperate need of God's grace. And I don't know about you, but I fall into both of those most of the time. But every now and then, when I got some cash in my pocket, that sense I might not be poor, but there's never a time where I'm not the second definition. Never a point where God's grace is not something that I am desperate for. And so what I want us to do is to try to see and let the Spirit show us if we are in this text somewhere. One of the uh, least likely warriors ever uh, was Luke Skywalker, right? I mean, he, like, he is not typical at all. He's a kid. And next thing you know, this kid has some Jedi skills, right? Because um, midichlorian counts, like, through the roof. And I don't know. I just made that up. I think that's the right word. But anyway, um, one of the, the, like, funny, it's, like, kind of, like, ironic. Once you understand the whole plot of Star Wars, you recognize, like, he's, like, a bad dude, seriously. But in the, when you watch uh, the, the, the first one that came out, episode four or whatever, um, when he's just a kid and he's just figuring all this stuff out or whatever, um, they go in to break out Princess Leia, right? And she's being held, and they dress up they, as stormtroopers, and they go in or whatever. And he walks in, and he takes off his helmet, and then what is his big line? What is it? I'm Luke Skywalker, and I'm here to what? Rescue you. I think this is what Jesus is saying right here. Without the uh, John Williams soundtrack and stormtrooper fire going on behind us, without any kind of dramatic, you know, whatever, I think that in this text, Jesus is literally saying the same thing. I think he reads it, I think he sits down, and he, I think he has a way of looking at all of, of his uh, Jewish relatives and friends and hometown people and says, I am here to rescue you. Good news to the poor. That if you are in desperate need of God's grace, and God himself walks in and says, I'm here to rescue you, good news, right? And you might not think that you're sitting here tonight in need of rescue, well, let's, just, let's explore it a little bit. He sent me, and let's, let, let's put the verse, put verse 18 up there and you can just leave it. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Now, when, when they heard captivity, they immediately went to the Old Testament in their minds. Thought about Babylon and Assyria and, all, and Nebuchadnezzar coming in and, and, and all these all these things that their um, forefathers had been through and all the persecution that had been there and all this stuff. But that wasn't the captivity Jesus was referring to, right? We know better, right? We're, we're modern. We understand. We look at them and say, oh, they were so silly. They thought it was all military or whatever. But what's cool about the fact that that they immediately thought about that captivity and that bondage was the fact that Jesus was going to do that very, like, the liberty he was going to bring was just as dramatic and actually way, way more intense and powerful because it was going to be in the spiritual realm. 
And so they're sitting here thinking like, oh my gosh, we're, you know, he's going to proclaim freedom and liberty to us who are held captive. That's what the Messiah is going to do. Jesus was like, yeah, but it's so much deeper than you realize. I really don't think he was being like, y'all just don't get it. Y'all just don't get it. I think he was saying, oh, if you only knew. If you only knew the captivity that you were in. And that captivity would be the fact that we're born into this sinful disposition where that's the only choice that we have. You can't choose God no matter how great you are and how awesome you are and no no matter how sincerely you try. There's just nothing you could do to change it. And Jesus looks at that situation and says, These are people who are in captivity. You're in bondage. You're enslaved to this. And not only that, there's no, um, there's no period of time to wait before that captivity ends when it comes to sin. There's no big event that, uh, that sinners are waiting on necessarily that's going to change everything um, except for him. I mean, this was going to take the warrior coming in and saying, I'm Jesus and I'm here to rescue you. And I know with this many people in the room, which may be the biggest crowd we've ever had, um, I know that there are some of you here who are in that kind of situation. I don't know you by name, so don't think I'm calling you out, but I'm just going to make some assumptions that the liberty that Christ was talking about here was about freeing you from sinful bondage that you can do nothing about. And he's the only one that has the authority to come in and say, I'm Jesus and I'm here to rescue you. There are a lot of voices that come in and say, I can, I can help you change this. But his is the only one that's telling you the truth. And so Jesus the warrior comes in and says, I'm going to win your freedom. Because I love you. That's awesome. And so really, there's two groups of people here tonight. There are people who have been freed in that way, in which case gratitude should just be all over your heart and your mind right now. When we sing how deep the Father's love for us, you should barely be able to contain yourself. And then there are people who want me to move on to the next point. Because you're sitting there going, I think I'm, I might, man, am I still in bondage? Am I still in captivity? Am I, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Well, our job here as elders and pastors is to point you to the only one who can really help you answer that question. And we're going to pray in a little bit, and we would love to just talk to you about it. And so, not to appease you, but I'm going to go on to the next point. But if that's you, we're going to come back to you, all right? Deal? Look at the next thing. Proclaim, proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. Now, this, this can mean physical healing. But you know what, what makes me nervous about 
physical healing is that um, it's it's handled so poorly in a lot of churches that it becomes uh, there's a lot of faith in the healing power of God to heal your physical issues and stuff like that. A lot of times it's it's so it's done so incompletely because I believe He can do anything He wants. It's not about ability; it's about His will. And you don't really hear those churches saying, you know, but He might not heal you. It may be His will for you to stay sick and to glorify Him as a sick person. That's hard to hear, right? That preaches well, huh? That'll fill the offering plates up. But that's the truth. There are people who glorify God more in their dying, the process and the event itself, and more glory comes to him through that whole deal maybe than did when they were alive and able-bodied and running around. So yes, recovery of sight to the blind, yeah, it's about physical healing. He can do that. Sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. But I want to maybe look at it just a little bit different for just a second. One of the things about sin, like let's say that you, are, you don't fall in that first category, that you have been rescued from sin by placing your faith in what Jesus did on the cross, and you have repented and said, I'm, I am a sinner, I need a Savior, and you are it for me. But you can still be living a life blind. See, that's the, that's the tough part, is that we go from not being able to choose God, and all of a sudden, like now, we can choose Him. We could choose Him, or we can choose not Him. And so there's this tension between, do I do what, I, what my old nature wants to do, or do I do what my new nature wants to do, what, who I really am now, which is honor God with things. And the more we choose to honor ourselves, and to obey ourselves, and do what is driven by by that ego and that pride you become very calloused I've talked before about it's like guitar players like you first start playing guitar a lot of people don't make it more than like two days because it hurts your fingers so bad if you just hang hang with it for a little while you develop these calluses and then you just don't even feel it and that's what sin does at first you're like oh man that was I chose my I chose myself over Christ and, and that hurt but the more you do it, the more callous things get. But see, I think, I think it's, it's blindness in a sense. Because a lot of times we become blind to our own issues and our own sins and our own, you know, whatever. And, and there really comes a point where these sinful patterns and these things that have been uh, just a part of our lives, it become so, we become so used to it that we really like, don't even see it anymore. There's a, I don't, I'm on a movie kick tonight. Um, in, um, we were soldiers. I talk about this a lot. I'm repeating myself a lot, so I hope it's okay. There's an awesome scene where they're all out, they're out in the middle of the night, and um, they can't see anything. And uh, so they, they radio in, and they're like, we need illumination. And so what they do is they, they fire this thing over, and it lights up all the woods and everything. And so they call for it, and they're sitting there, and you can't really see anything either. And then you see, like, the light come in, and it lights up all the, all the uh, woods. And where's the enemy? Right on top of them. Like, it's, it's just incredible. I remember when I saw that scene, I'm not one of those guys that connects everything to spiritual stuff. But when I saw that scene, I was like, that's, that's something right there. I don't know what it was, but that, that means something, 
you know, at Close Encounters. And I was like, this is important. And so I really thought about it for a long time. I was like, that is, that's when those moments when, when you, all of a sudden, like, God just, like, lights up your entire life, and you see it for the, you're like, oh, you realize how powerful it has become. That's recovery of sight to the blind in that sense. And so maybe, maybe you have been set free from captivity, but maybe, maybe you've grown blind to some of the things in life that are, they're, they're killing you, but just don't know it. Because you've become so used to it, you don't even see it anymore. And so maybe tonight, in this room, Jesus the warrior is here to say, I'm Jesus, I have rescued you, now, now I want to make you see some things. And now you guys are the ones that are scared. <laughs> Because you want me to move on. And I'm in that boat too. Because when you start asking God, God, show me, show me, show me. He'll do it. A lot of times we don't like, once that light comes on, you don't like what you see. And it's easy to try and turn it back off. But since Jesus is a warrior, he doesn't just turn the light on and be like, what are you going to do now? He turns the light on and says, all right, let's, let's do this. Let's deal with this. The same warrior that died on the cross and laid down his life for you says, now let's, let's take care of this. We dealt with sin. You're, you're, you're dead to it. Now let's quit feeding it. Let's quit, let's quit keeping it alive, quit nurturing it. So maybe that's where you find yourself in this text. Look at the next one. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. There's a difference between oppression and captivity. It's easy to read that the first time and say, well, he just said that, right? I mean, free the oppressed, free the captives. I mean, it's kind of the same thing. Well, it's, it's not. See, when you're in captivity, there's, not, there's nothing you can do. You're being held prisoner by something. When you are oppressed... You're already free, but there's something that is dragging you down. There's baggage in your life that you are completely exhausted from carrying around, but yet you don't really even know what life is like without it, you know. And I hear it all the time when you talk to people, and it's not even it's not blatant all the time it's real subtle working in the conversations and when you begin to get past the surface with people and you'll hear it worked in there you hear people um, hear that when they were you begin to hear that their worth comes from the stupidest things we make jokes all the time about you know how many friends you have on Facebook or how many people follow you on Twitter or whatever. We always laugh about that. It's always funny when you follow some celebrity and they're like, I hit 30,000 followers, you know. It's like, who cares? And we can kind of laugh at that, like, oh, that's dumb to find your worth and how many people, how many people you're Facebook friends with. But people do dumb stuff like that. People's worth comes from all kind of stuff who they're friends with, how many emails they get a day, 
How many people speak to him when they come to church or don't speak to him when they come to church? If you don't get treated in your book the same way as everybody else does, somebody comes in and you watch them come across the room, they hug people and stuff like that, but they don't hug you. you know, Why didn't you hug me? That kind of stuff begins to, to show up in conversation. Next thing you know, you it just becomes very apparent. There's some kind of issue from their past they're dragging around with them. They have these approval issues from somewhere. Maybe it's from parents or family or some kind of a, something happened to them when they were young. And that baggage they drag around, all of a sudden there's blaming everybody, mad at everybody. It's so every, not, not my fault, somebody else's fault. That's oppression. You hear all kinds of stuff like that. People say, oh, well, I'm this way because my, you know, my, my parents were, you know, this and they didn't, my dad never said he loved me, you know, and all this kind of stuff. All right, well, deal with it. That's why I'm such a good counselor. <laughs> Suck it up. <laughs> what Jesus says is, um, I'm Jesus and uh, I have rescued you and now we're going to deal with this oppression because I'm a warrior and I can shred it. You've been pouting for however many years because your dad never said he loved you. Well, let's, let me heal that wound. you got people whose entire existence flows up and down based on whether or not their parents think that they made the right career choice. I'm not saying you say, well, my parents are idiots, and just dismiss it. It's like, no, that, that hurt you at some point. Jesus says, that is oppressing you. Let's, let's take care of it. You might think, well, I've been, I've been this way for so many years. This is part of how, how I am. And Jesus says, yeah, well, I'm a warrior. And you're not in your own strength. But in my strength, you are the ultimate warrior. Right? And so I don't, you know, what, however that baggage shows up, been dragging around guilt. Do anybody here ever make a bad decision when they were like a teenager? We line up, have confession time if you want. See some some grown ups walk around, grown people. It's been years since some of these things happened. Made a bad decision. Had a bad weekend. Had a bad month. Had a bad high school. <laughs> And you just, you just can't let it go. Jesus says, you don't have to walk around with those wounds. You don't have to walk around with that giant foothold for the enemy in your life. He set up a camp in there. He says, I'm a warrior. I'm here to free the oppressed. I'm here to restore sight to the blind. I'm here to set captives free. Where are you in there? Every one of us is in need of God's grace. And there ain't nobody in this room that's dealt with every issue ever. That has nothing in their life that doesn't need illumination. We all have something. 
That's what's so beautiful about the body is she's so messed up. And Jesus just loves her and loves her and loves her. So we're going to let him love us tonight. We're going to sing a song, and then we're going to pray a little bit, and we're going to sing some more songs. It's going to be okay. But here's what I, I need us to do. We, we're not going to leave here tonight with regret. Cool. I think there's a lot of times we walk out being like, and you kind of feel feel God tugging on you about something or wanting you to pray about something or deal about with something and it's real easy to to push that aside and be like, We gonna where are we gonna eat? Can't wait to get to the chimes. And you shift your mind away or as soon as the band starts playing, you're like, I love this song, David Crowder band, new album, this and this and all. Next thing you know, that rabbit's is gone and we're all distracted. It takes some focus for us to be intentional about things. God put this together tonight for a reason. And so, no regrets. Let's see what he has for us tonight. Let's pray. The band is going to come up. Father, you, um, you are the warrior. And we like to think that we are. We like to think we can take care of all our own stuff and we can fix things or the wounds from the past that we can just, we'll just get by. We'll just limp through life spiritually and in every other way. You know the things that are oppressing. You know the baggage that, is, that exists. You know the wounds that are causing us to act in ways that aren't accurate with who we really are. You know the sins in our lives that we've grown blind to. You know the fears that exist that we feed and they become so powerful and they keep us trusting you and taking those steps of obedience. God, like we, like the community group leaders heard this morning, God, I, I pray we don't look at 50 steps in front of us because you haven't shown us 50 steps in front of us. You've shown us one. God, for those in captivity to sin who have not been freed by your son, I pray... pray that this is their night of rescue. Jesus, I pray that you will speak to their hearts, tell them who you are, tell them what you're here to do.